everyone. I'm Riyad Akyol and this is Dignified Resilience, a podcast on fresh narratives on confronting despair, alleviating distress, and forging ahead. In this podcast, we hear from people around the globe at all stages of life and variety of industries and learn how to channel dignified resilience to survive, feed the soul to heal, and connect with others through inspiring compassionate actions and behavior. At the same time, I aim to grow a global conversation that seeks to better acknowledge different sociocultural perspectives on meaningfully weathering life's adversities and achieving well-being. Here is a noble and humane invitation for surpassing our old selves by learning about and from other people's moving forces and limitations for successfully overcoming affliction and ache. Remember, we have different lives, distinct pathways, cultures, and contexts, but we can find common ground in supporting dignified resilience anywhere. So let's go then. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dignified Resilience. Today is special. I will interview a friend, someone who is dear to me and whom I enjoy having many conversations on many topics offline. But today we decided to move our conversation on air about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, about propaganda and misinformation, censorship, something that Karina Orlova, my dear friend and today's guest, is very knowledgeable about herself. She was, I have to say in the past tense now, as of two weeks ago, she was the Washington DC correspondent for Russia's liberal radio station, Echo of Moscow, before it was shut down and has been very busy lately. So I have to, you know, convey and extend my official thank you, uh, Karina, for coming here today and uh, looking forward to what I think is going to be illuminating conversation for listeners and viewers who might or not, not, might not be familiar with all the details um, about the invasion and the background and the context. So the first thing that I want to say um, after welcoming you uh, is, how are you today? I know everything that's been happening is personal for you too. Hi, Riyadh. Thanks for having me on. Yes, um, you are my dear friend, and I'm so lucky that I have a friend like you or you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so okay just uh, just regard my smile um i'm used to you know smiling because i used to work before echo i had worked on dorsch tv rain channel which was also shut down uh so these two uh um notable media outlets echo of moscow radio station and tv rain tv dorsch the privately owned a uh, moscow-based um tv channel uh, were shut down. Uh, so yeah, so I, yeah, I'm smiling, but, um, inside of me, there's a horror and also, you know, my, um, ordering, which tracks my sleep, mm. um, shows that my heart rate variability is, um, extremely bad. And every time, despite, you know, the fact that I get normal hours of sleep, seven hours or so, um, there's something off with that. And I know why, because I really take this personal, and it is personal, right? Um, for many reasons that I'm sure we will discuss later. Hmm. Oh, I, I mean, I feel the whole world or so many people who have been just following this since February 24 have been absolutely disturbed or trying, everything seems to have been... Um, moving according to the schedule of the news that, that, that are, that, that's been coming from Ukraine. And 
Um, it's been three weeks um, since the invasion so far. We're seeing horrific footage from uh, Ukraine about attacks on civilians, humanitarian disaster already, and we will talk about that. But I'm interested, I want to ask you about this thing. I've heard that after the new repressive laws were passed in the last few weeks, that almost all reporters and editors or economists or intellectuals, political scientists, journalists, um, professionals, right, have um, kind of tried to get out of Russia as soon as they could, wherever they could go um, in, in the region. And many of those who have been publicly uh, criticizing uh, Putin in the past few years I assume yourself as well have uh, have fled the country, but is are all of them gone at this point in yeah. these few weeks? Yeah, pretty much everyone. Yes, um, um, the uh, chief editor of uh, the Dosh TV channel that I mentioned, uh, Tihon Zatko and his wife, they left. Um, and uh, other journalists, a personal friend, a dear friend of mine, Dennis, he also left. He actually left. The, uh, he left for Cyprus the very last day because uh, next day Cyprus shut down all commercial flights from Russia. So he was lucky to get out. Um, you, you, I don't know if you saw, but there were these... Um, um, lines where people stood for six hours to get into the office of Turkish Airlines, um, you know, to try to get away because their website doesn't work. You can't book mm. a, a ticket online from Moscow. Yes. And I'm not even talking about the price. Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, people it, it's yeah, it, it is like, you know, history repeats itself. And yes, people left massively i'm not sure who who's who's left there probably families right those who can get away they not always uh and mostly they cannot can uh, take their family with them i mean parents extended family or something yeah so mm. and echo moscow was cut off air a few days after the invasion and more than i mean all at this point, probably all independent media uh, with the yes. repressive laws that came dictating right um, jail terms up to 15 years for what you can tell us more about our so-called fake news. But I'm interested yeah. in asking your opinion. There was an article today, an essay in the New York Times by Ilya Krasilschik, uh, the former uh, publisher of Medusa, which was an independent uh, news outlet. And he described in that essay kind of over the past decade, different kind of repressive measures um, on the protest and free speech in Russia. I was wondering whether you would agree with him on what he added. And um, I will quote a couple of sentences and read. He said, I want to believe that we did everything in our power to rein in Mr. Putin, but it's not true. Though we protested, organized, lobbied, spread information and built honest lives in the shadow of a corrupt regime, we must accept the truth. We failed. We failed to prevent the catastrophe and we failed to change the country for the better. And then he goes and he says, now we must bear that failure. The primary responsibility for this evil lies squarely at the feet of Mr. Putin and his entourage. But for those who oppose the regime, it were in ways big and small, the responsibility is also ours to bear. So this is very complicated, obviously, this idea of responsibility. And, and these are different opinions, both personal and what social scientists might have studied from the past in terms of collective responsibility, collective guilt, et cetera. I'm interested in this, in your opinion about the moral necessity, as he explains about, you know, what, what could have been done from inside? Do you feel more could have been done? Or what is it, as Ilya says, how 
you know, how to think about a new Russian nation, as he says, in terms of this moral necessity to, to think about what could have been done more. I uh, agree with Ilya 100%. Uh, I myself feel constantly feel shame and more importantly, guilt, because we are guilty. Every Russian person is guilty um, and we must be guilty and we should be guilty. And um, like it couldn't be said, you know, better. Um, so I agree with that. If you if you uh, check my Twitter, I posted the very next day, even though I'm not very active on Twitter, um, um, that I am ashamed, you know, of being um, a Russian citizen today because it is the same, you know, literally it is the same as being a Nazi Germany citizen in, in the 40s and after that. And I know, you know, so some... There's so this that's a very great topic because um so okay, we'll we will not be talking about this Putin's majority, whatever it is a like slim majority or a vast majority. We will talk about this intellectuals, right? Because this is what, what's important. Intellectuals, uh, liberals, not only liberals, not all of them are liberals, but still, right? And there is a conversation going on now, right? Um, about whether we should feel guilt uh, and shame, right? Some say people who I respect, actually, they say that um, this um, shame, uh, the feeling of shame is absolutely useless, which I couldn't disagree more with because shame is important because when you feel shame, probably it means you won't do the same thing again, right? Also, and guilt is also has very practical um, outcome because when you feel guilt, you want to, um, uh, what's the word for it? Act. You want to make up. You want to make up for what yeah. you've done, right? And this is very important because we have a perfect example of the Nazi Germany that, um, and then Germany, the, the after Nazi Germany. Um, I know that they feel guilt and shame till this day and they paid and they have been paying for what they've done, for what they did um, to Jewish people and for the Holocaust. And that's, so they pay like physical money, right? Um, they pay because they feel guilt, right? This is very important. And probably um, their like collective uh, feeling of shame prevents us for, from having another Nazi Germany, right? In Germany, we have a, a Nazi Germany in Russia now. Yeah, so I think this is very important. Unfortunately, I have to acknowledge, I can see it already now, that very few people, I'm, you know, I'm really glad I didn't see Ilya's um, uh, op-ed in the New York Times. I'm really glad that I know him personally. Of course, we, you know, hand, hand, you know, used to hang out together and not with him, like it was a, a broader group of liberal journalists in Russia. So I'm, I'm really glad and happy to know that there's a person like that, but he's the, he and I were in the minority, the absolute minority of this, because uh, what I see, um, you know, um, people say, why? Okay, so this is the uh, standard. They say, why should I feel guilt if I didn't vote for this war or I didn't even vote for Putin, right? So already now, Russia is still bombing Ukraine every day, day and night. They're bombing civilians. They're bombing um, 
children and uh, the the world and especially the U.S. Congress could see that today when President Zelensky addressed the U.S. Congress and um, he showed this video, a compilation of, uh, this is mind-blowing, mind-blowing, right? So Russia is still doing that and the Russian people already, you know, are talking about the future, which is great, but, you know, we should talk about the future in terms of guilt, but they already say I didn't, you know, I uh, I didn't vote for this war. And Rihanna, these are the people who are actually not Putinists, right? So what I anticipate happens after the war is over, it will be over, well, you know, sooner or later. I hope sooner. Um, it will turn out that you know all of them were against this war. None of them voted for this war, and they actually all opposed, right? This is horrible. Russian people are generally shameless, right? And I, I mean, sorry, it's like, it's generalization, but uh, there are facts that confirm that. For instance, Americans, right? Americans have, you know, helped Russia for the past century. They helped Russia in 1970, in 19, after the 1917. They helped Russia uh, during the World War II. Uh, land lease, of course, and, you know, uh, they fed Russia. And they helped and fed Russia in the 90s. And Americans are very generous and kind people. They actually help a lot of people across the, the globe, right? And so they helped Russia. Guess what? Where did, like... Um, uh, what, like Russians successfully forgot about it. So this anti-American hysteria, this is crazy. Like how can you hate and loathe someone who actually saved you, literally saved you from starving to death? That's what happened in after the uh, Bolsheviks revolution, after the war, during the war, and like that war, World War II, and in the 90s. So... I'm afraid that Russians will not feel guilt, but there, I mean, we can go about it. Uh, I, there will be, of course, of course, there's already a process uh, started in The Hague and there will be a uh, um, tri tribun tri tribunal, tribunal, right? Tribunal. Um, and, um, you know, Russia will pay for that. I'm not sure you know, how exactly, because the country is already in misery, um, financially, I mean, and economically, but they will pay, they must pay, they have to pay for this. Um, I would very much love to, you know, to know that Russian people genuinely feel that, because again, that's the only thing that can protect us from repeating this, because, I mean, where is the guarantee that another Putin does not arise um, in the future, uh, if if we as Russians, especially you know, even I, like you know, I I left Russia in 2015. Of course, I never went back. And um, some some could say, and people, you know, like my friends, they would um, console, uh, like, um, like you know, provide this console me, right? Console yeah. me, like, oh, you have nothing to do with that. You left Russia a long time ago. It's not your fault, but it is. I am a Russian citizen. I don't know what to do. I mean, I would love to burn my Russian passport. Really, love to get rid of it. I just can't do it uh, because I don't have any other citizenship. Um, well, I actually. So when this is over, um, I you know. I would really do my best to uh, 
well, renounce my Russian citizenship and I would love to become a Ukrainian citizen <laughs> if they accept me. Yes, I would love to, to have that. So, yeah, uh, that's, I mean, that's a very great topic about guilt. I can see how your opinions on some topics can be seen as controversial. And I know how frank you are in, in all conversations on and offline. Uh, but but as you've been speaking, including about America and uh, some anti-imperialists might also get involved there and, and try to disprove you. But um, as you've been speaking, I obviously just have to mention how it echoed so much considering my own work on Bosnian genocide and three decades that have passed since then and the constant denial and, you know, this talk of reconciliation that has to happen when there's not only admission of what had happened by, you know, previous regimes, but also the glorification of war criminals and just revision. And, and, and so I do understand and want to second the fact or what you stated that historical revisionism or the this admission and, and accepting the facts um, will be crucial. And I can see how it will be challenging because at least in the case of Bosnian genocide, uh, three decades have passed. It's still slow, but it is a slow process in, in post-Nazi Germany. It also, it didn't, go, it didn't go fast. But as you said, the most important thing is uh, that the violence stops as soon as possible. But do you then expect more instances like that of Marina Osvianakova? I mean, we know that she's been, you know, she's been fined like around $300 for her video. If the listeners are not familiar, yeah. she, you know, she protested, she came on live TV, protested Russia's war. Uh, but she didn't get the fine for the protest itself yet, I think. She called for the anti-war protest, yeah. said she's ashamed yeah, right. for working for Kremlin propaganda. She denounced the war, absolutely. So do you expect more instances like that of her, or like like of Marina, or maybe to tie to, to another question, um, which of course is very difficult to answer and, and which I'm sure a lot of um, people have asked you, to, which is what do ordinary Russians think about the war? And should we not take into account why, when we answer that, the fact that, you know, there have been different polls, but how honest could people be, you know, when there is so much repression and then they're scared to say publicly, like, can we even talk about veracity of any poll at this point, considering the repression? And I'm not trying to defend anyone. I'm just trying to, you know, kind of take yeah. the big picture. Well, yeah, that's a great point. So um, about my opinions being controversial. So uh, I've been saying that uh, it's not only Putin, it's the Russians that support him. And this is a majority. Okay, I think it's um, um, it's narrowing now. 50-50 um, uh, maybe? Maybe, I don't know. But it's not, you know, this 50-50 yes or no, right? <laughs> like, what, what are the chances that I will meet a mammoth tomorrow? Well... It's 50-50, yes or no, as they say in Odessa. <laughs> this is the very, and also, very what do they humor. think they're supporting? That's important, right? Do they know uh, what they think they're supporting, considering the propaganda? That's well, another thing. Okay. So, uh, because, you know, as when you introduced me, you said I'm, I'm very busy uh, a little bit because suddenly when I lost my job, I, you know, um, people got um, interested in me. And so I've been um, interviewed by different media outlets so yeah that's you know sad and ironic but anyway I'm glad that they um you know that they 
find uh, time to talk about it and that they highlight the problem. So I appeared on uh, CNN where I said that no, it's not just Putin. Russians do support him and I have proof. So <laughs> when Putin started the war on February the 24th and he started bombing Ukraine, just that same day we saw pictures of Russians um, standing in lines, like long lines uh, for ATMs, especially uh, foreign currency ATMs, uh, to withdraw money. A uh, question. How did they know that something horrible is coming, right? If you, if you listened uh, to the Russian propaganda, first of all, there was no war and still no, there is no war. It's just a special military operation. It's done primarily in the Donbass region, those two rep rebellion republics, right? And so Russia is doing just fine. And right, so people somehow, and also it was before all the sanctions um, were announced, right? So, like this, because at first I remember the United States just announced some silly sanctions on the, those Donbass republics. So somehow people figured out, figured out, they knew, they knew that it was a war and that, you know, Russia will pay for this war. So my, like... My conclusion is that uh, wherever they got this information about uh, financial hardship they're going to um, face them, same place they could, they could or probably did see all the information about the war in Ukraine, uh, whether they prefer to ignore it or just, you know, to just not, um, yeah, to just pretend they never saw it, right, or just not make much of it or just don't care. I don't care, but that's just a fact. And, you know, there, there have been several polls. I know, I know, really, you're absolutely right. Like, how can you trust a, um, a state-owned, like, Kremlin-owned um, Polling company, yeah. Polling company, but there have been other polls, independent polls run by CNN, run by this, you yourself sent me this link, remember, some European... Atlantic um, Council? Atlantic Council is a report also. Yeah, that was my final point, right? <laughs> Atlantic Council. I got a message uh, from a text from a friend, Francois. Uh, he was like, okay, just, uh, just like Karina said, exactly. So now I have proof <laughs> with Atlantic Council. I have no reason to not believe the Atlantic Council, right? Report. So, and also there, there was one poll run by uh, two um, opposition guys, um, uh, in Moscow, like absolutely, I'm, I had nothing to do with any government or you know state sponsored anything. Also, same results. They were right, you know. Uh, um, they've, um, you know, it's like this, like maybe ten percent percentage points or something. But it's it's like not a single poll so far has shown uh, has showed a minority of Russians who would support Putin. It's still a majority, but it's changing. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you, though. Is it possible? Well, is it possible that a few things are changing in the sense that at this point, three weeks after um, the start of the invasion, we know that Kremlin has shut down all independent media and censored the coverage and things have moved in the worst direction, obviously. So do people can people still use VPN in the sense that I read that MasterCard and Visa suspended operations? I heard I read that many cannot pay to access VPN as well. So my question is, is there potentially a worsening that 
the access that they could have to the outside world, I'm speaking in very simple terms, is being, you know, narrowed down in, in a very um, dark totalitarian way. Not that it's in the sense of North Korea. No, it's not. I don't think it, it, it can be that. But um, is it worse than maybe in terms of the access that there was three weeks ago? And, and also, do you think that there is a difference in terms of age or urban rural environment in terms of the access or desire to um, get to this independent media? Because I've heard it's not just state TV, that also TikTok and then Twitter um, and then Telegram, that they have used propagandist headlines and confusing messages. So, I mean, it's it's difficult to stay sane, it seems, as much as one wants. So does that make sense? How is it changing it since February 24? Well, of course, it's changing and um, it's um, um, worse. The supply, the supply is scarce mm-hmm. <laughs> of information, right? But also... Did you ever notice how people, when there is a line, you know, and oh, there's something in, you know, in deficit, and people want that, and when when they they usually want something they can't get. This is very, you know, a common psychological um, uh, feature in in human beings. So uh, I think that the more you, you know, because when the, when the all information was there, you just had to go on Echo's website, on TV doorstore, right? Or also a BBC Russian service that suspended their operation in Russia in fear of the persecution for the journalists uh, because of this law, uh, you know, 15 years was printing um, fakes. Also, that's very important. This law has a retroactive action. So whatever you, you have said in the past, Yes, <laughs> that's why my colleagues from ACO, or my colleagues, they uh, deleted all their personal private accounts on social media, you know, in case they said something, right? Because they're still saying Russia, I can't judge them for that. So, yeah, uh, so I think the more uh, Kremlin uh, suppresses uh, the information, the more people want to get it, right? Because... Um, when everything is fine, right, when, um, like, economically you're doing okay, when, you know, there's no turmoil, people, pr- probably you, one doesn't need to be um, active or interested in politics, right? People really start getting interested in politics when something is off, something is going on. Clearly something is going on in Russia. Uh, clearly prices are going up. People lose jobs, not even at companies, at um, foreign companies that le- that have left Russia. Also in perfectly Russian companies that just work with foreign um, parts and details, right? So they produce something seemed Russian, but <laughs> in fact, it's, so this Russian product is made, 70% made of, you know, foreign uh, parts and details. And that has been shut down. So clearly people are interested in information. And uh, Telegram, this is a very interesting interesting case. Telegram is still operating in Russia, has not been uh, blocked. Um, Access is, it's free. Uh, And I'm not sure how familiar Americans are with Telegram. It's like a messenger, but you can also run public channels on Telegram. For instance, I run uh, my own uh, public channel on Telegram. I started years ago when Trump became president. I was so shocked. So I decided that I need a channel to, you know, express um, all the horrors because Russia was overwhelmingly 
pro-Trump and there was, you know, the Russian propaganda about Trump, about his greatness was the same as that of, of uh, right-wing media in America. So I had to dispute that. So now my Telegram channel is, of course, dedicated <laughs> to Ukraine. Uh, temporarily, I will uh, get back to my uh, scope of interest, which is um, America. So, um, yeah. And so you said, right, that there are, um, uh, there's misinformation and fakes on Telegram, but also there are, you know, channels with massive uh, audience, like true audience, no bots, no nothing. For instance, ne- next, I mean, in Russian, we say Nechta, but it's Nexta uh, mm-hmm. Life. It's a Belarusian mm-hmm. uh, Telegram channel, all the information. Um, what else is there? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Uh, Belarus, like, oh, it's, it's Belarus, Golovnovo Moska. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's like your uh, Belarusian brain damage or something. So it started, those Telegram channels um, uh, started as a uh, as an anti-Lukashenko Telegram channels when there was a, a revolution, almost almost a revolution happened in, in Belarus, right? But they're all, of course, now covering Ukraine. And you can find information there. Like, it's 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 there, right? It's it's all over there. I know, I, I mean, it is really hard with in this reality of fakes um, to even, because even, you know, sometimes I read a story in the Washington Post. It it, um, it covered how journalists uh, professionally can uh, distinct, you know, a, a fake video or like non-relevant video from a relevant video. For instance, you know, how can you tell that this is a Russian rocket bomb in Ukraine today and not something that happened in Turkey or Syria, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, that's a, a professional job. Even professionals, you know, they spend hours, you know, hours. Sometimes it takes days to, to run this analysis. It's, there is no universal tool to just, uh, you know, run this video through and, okay, that's um, original or relevant. So, yeah, I know it's very important, right? But again, I, uh, I'm sure the public um, opinion is changing. And Marina Ovsanikova, this brave, beautiful Russian lady, actually, that showed up behind the um, one of the most notorious uh, propagandist uh, uh, presenters. Uh, mouth. Yeah, yeah, pre- presenter. That's a very high praise for her, Riyadh. No, she's not a presenter. <laughs> She's a propagandist, yeah, uh, with with the with the uh, placard that says no war. Uh, and I love that she used, you know, she used different messages in Russian and in English. So in English it was no war, stop war, right? And in Russian it was, it said it's all propaganda. They're lying to you here, which was amazing, right? So she that's very so true uh, message. So I think, I mean, I'm not trying to. Um, trying to uh, undermine Marina's um, instincts. Uh, but, um, you know, she was very genuine, uh, genuine, of course, and it was like an incredibly brave act because it, it is 15 times, uh, oh, 15 years in prison uh, now in Russia. So she basically signed her herself a death sentence. Luckily, she was fined really for the video she uh, recorded pre-recorded a video message that explained her action her act and but there's also the act itself and this is investigated now uh, criminally you know there's a probe mm. like a 
cr like a criminal probe by the investigative committee. They don't do misdemeanor. They only do criminal charges. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But, okay. So, it will... It is changing public opinion, but not because of the atrocities of the war. Unfortunately, I have to say that, but because of the uh, all the economic um, hardship that mm. Russians are facing and experiencing, you know, that is what's going to change um, the public opinion about the war and um, Putin and Shoigu and whatever. And I think that was the strategic vision of Americans and Europeans, primarily Americans. I think Joe Biden did an incredible job, like really an incredible job. He pushed, um, pressured Europeans into, you know, joining America in the most outrageous sanctions you know like no one could even imagine this was like no one could imagine such sanctions could exist even right and be placed uh, all at once and biden even pressured switzerland switzerland it's just like never happened literally since 1815 <laughs> he is now um negotiating with venezuela i think to a certain you know success he's gonna negotiate negotiate with uh mohammed bin salman he's a, a horrible person a murderer the uh, crown prince of saudi arabia but unfortunately like like Biden has to choose a lesser evil and yeah, Putin, you've achieved a lot. You now are worse than Mohammed bin Salman than everybody, uh, anybody else in the world. So, yeah. So I think that Americans realize that, um, you know, President Zelensky's appeals to the Russian people will not work. These videos will not work on Russians. I don't know how to explain this, but it, it just doesn't work. What does work, though, sanctions and economic hardship. And I also, you know, there's been, I don't know what you read. Tell me, I'm very interested. But there's been, um, I read some opinions um, among Russians that, oh, those sanctions will only affect the rich and, you know, upper middle class. And the, the poor, which is the vast majority of the country and lower middle class, don't care about it, which is couldn't be more wrong because mm -hmm. <laughs> the rich, yeah, Okay, the rich just lost his yacht or apartment or villa in in Rome, but he didn't become you know he didn't become poor because of that. He just yeah, quite he, the opposite. Yeah, quite the opposite. They have like less money, but they still have a lot of money, mm -hmm. and they don't care if a a pound of whatever flour mm -hmm. or, or like if a, a piece of bread costs two dollars or ten dollars or a hundred dollars. They couldn't care less. The, the poor, though, so uh, this is very amazing because Russia, like I saw these um, charts about this structure, like consumer structure of Russia, like how, how much money Russians, um, um, uh, lower middle spend. class and poor, mm -hmm. spend, right? And it's like just 70% of their income they spend on food. Mm. Just imagine if this food, if the prices go, and they will <laughs> go up, you know, even two times, it's already, um, you know, disastrous. And I remember 1998 when there was a default in Russia. It was an internal default, not the default Russia is going to experience now. It's like, you know, today it's a default for the um, international investors. And then it was default um, internally. 
And I remember, uh, so that's a bit shameful to say, but my mother used to smoke then and she would always send me to buy her cigarettes. Yeah, it was absolutely okay in Russia to buy cigarettes when you were 13. So I remember <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, show up at a store to buy um, her a pack of cigarettes. I remember it. And it was five rubles. Yesterday it was five rubles. And now it is 20. And I was like, what? What is going on? So I was a child. I, I, I couldn't understand. I, 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 yeah, you know, I even refused to buy it at that place. I was like, okay, something is off with the stores they're suddenly you know <laughs> deceiving customers mm. but yeah so in one day prices rose four times which is like outstanding right uh yeah so that's what's gonna happen so the worse economically russia is the less support Putin have the more people will demand you know a change that's a really important insight because I was one of my next questions was going to be about the power of the economic sanctions and consequences. And I definitely agree that the poor or the middle classes, lower middle classes will obviously suffer the most and, and, and the consequences will be brutal. And, and so we heard from you that you think that that was going to somehow down the line potentially affect the stability of the regime. Um, and, and tied to that, though, I was curious to hear your opinion because we've heard a lot of coverage about different sort of indicators that show how unprepared or just how bad or maybe how not as good as we might have thought Putin's army is. And this whole war machine, we have heard so much information about the abandoned equipment, uh, Ukrainian counterattacks and evidence of uh, Russian soldiers, low morale, um, low communica- lousy communication security. Um, do you believe Putin might have been misled that he was told what he wanted and uh, needed to hear because uh, even yesterday, I think there was um, information uh, by the general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine. They posted on their Facebook about the low morale among the invading Russian forces, quote unquote, which is causing some uh, to disobey orders. Um, but what do you think has, was Putin misled? Not only I believe Putin was completely misled, I actually warned about it. In 2017, I wrote a piece. I'm sorry, it's a little bit of self-advertising, but uh, very, you know, um, uh, I just... Uh, Deserving. <laughs> it's, um, it's to the point, yes. Yeah. So in 2017, I ran, uh, wrote a piece for the American interest. I was their contributing writer for a couple of years um, until the magazine was... <laughs> shut down <laughs> by their uh, publishers. So the piece is called Inside Putin's Echo Chamber. I'm sorry, Riada, I completely forgot to send it to you. I will do. You will enjoy reading it because, um, okay, so even then, uh, there was, um, uh, I, I took an episode. Do you remember Oliver Stone uh, made a movie about Putin? Okay, so and that was a famous episode uh, where Putin showed uh, Stone a video of uh, Russian super modern high technology weapons um, used in Syria, like bombing Syria. Well, it turns out it was first of all a footage of American weapon doing something else it was probably even some sort of video game i mean i don't remember the details so it was so outrageous like it's just what are you doing man so 
he showed it to Stone. And of course, a lot of people noticed it and they addressed it to uh, Putin's press secretary, Peskov. Well, Peskov has no, thankfully, he's been sanctioned by everybody in the world. He has no problem, problem in line. And also he doesn't even, you know, bother to lie realistically. He is just lying, you know. Um, and he said something like, he actually, of course, defended Putin, but he was, uh, like widely discussed, especially in Russia, and people mocked him. But then I decided that there, I mean, because I also knew um, how Putin gets his information. So he never used, he doesn't use it to this day, any any um, piece of technology because he thinks that it's traceable. For instance, if you use, whether it's Android or um, MacOS or whatever, iPhone, um, the uh, the producer of this software can, you know, penetrate you, can damage you or trace you, right? And also Putin generally believes that the internet was created by the CIA and probably still, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he said that out loud. Yeah. So no technology, right? Um, he doesn't read the news on the internet. Unlike Trump, for instance, right? Trump was watching CNN like crazy every day. He was, you know, then he watched CNN and then immediately he called Fox News to bitch about CNN. So Putin, no such thing, you know, with Putin. First of all, there is no CNN in Russia. And there's also the, you know, state propaganda and the information he got was uh, from his uh, a number of uh, agencies and services most most of them are of course security services but of course the uh, foreign ministry his press secretary and all sorts of um, um, intelligence services fsb svr literally put on paper so a folder and some news on paper and i know as a as a matter of fact that um once, uh, when Echo of Moscow was in trouble again, and Alexey Venediktov actually defended um, the station and the journalist who was in trouble because of that. So he tweeted something that uh, one of Putin's um, closest um, allies did, like, didn't like, and they you know, decided to destroy Echo because of that. They demanded Venediktov fired. Um, uh, the journalist Venediktov uh, refused. And so he needed to deliver some information to Putin. He didn't, of course, ha have any, you know, direct access. So he asked Peskov, whom, you know, they were in good relations, a relationship with, to put a, um, um, a news piece run by a state uh, news agency, Itartas, you know, on yeah. top in this folder. Oh, wow. That's how Putin would see it. So something that was, you know, uh, to Vindictive's interest that was run, um, that was, you know, published by a state news agency was put on top, you know, on, in this folder. So that Putin see, you know, how crazy is that? So I describe all that in my piece. And um, so already then I uh, said that Putin is, he doesn't know the reality. He's, you know, he, he did he did that um, to himself, um, but it's 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 a fact. Of course, couldn't 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 ever imagine, you know, what consequences um, it will have. But you know, I five years ago, I already knew that Putin is, you know, he's lost touch 
with reality. And also um, a, a European diplomat uh, who I personally know confirmed to me. So I asked him, like, do you think that Putin is, you know, clinically crazy that he he's gone? of the rails clinically. And he said, yes, I think so. And this is also the US intelligence assessment that um, like for the past two years with COVID and isolation, Putin has been incredibly isolated that, you know, that's what uh, damaged him. And he has lost touch with reality, uh, literally, you know. Yeah. So uh, of course, Putin was misled about his army, uh, which is also like, dude don't you like you created this corruption like the system that is based on corruption did you really think that your uh like a defense ministry will not be stealing like crazy like everything is corrupted in russia i remember also in my other pieces with american interest i said that whenever there's a project uh financed by the government it is only you know um like initiated to uh, for, for, so that someone can corrupt on that, you know, can can steal on that, mm-hmm. which is it is true. It sounds crazy, but I know now the whole world mm-hmm. knows, you know, how corrupted the Russian army is, and now the whole world sees. And also, Putin was sorry. My last thing, Putin was severely misled on Ukraine. Now that's why. You know, he really was reported that the Ukrainians uh, want to be in Russia, that Ukrainians, there are some Nazi, but, you know, the vast majority of Ukrainians are just waiting for Putin to invade and they will be meeting him with flowers. That's why Russian soldiers didn't even have food or anything, but they had their parade uniform Mm -hmm. clearly to, you know, to... uh, um, be celebrated as you know the liberators which is crazy and that's why we have now i think it's been uh, confirmed by this you know multiple sources confirmed that um you know one of the top generals with uh, within the fsb was arrested because of that it was his scope of work to prepare ukraine for putin's invasion guess where all the money went <laughs> yeah. So, but even worse than, despite all this, there have been so many analysis, and and I think I know what you're gonna say, but you know, I'll say, I'll ask you out loud. Do you think Putin will stop, or rather, how will Putin stop? And and um. Obviously, there is so much information and opinions and thoughts. This is what needs to be done. This is what should be done. And, you know, nuclear war, no-fly zone, et cetera. I don't want to necessarily get into all of that because it's complicated. But but I am curious in your opinion, in the sense that, you know, Biden yesterday, I believe he said that he signed $1.5 trillion government funding bill with a Ukraine aid bill. And Ukraine's president, Zelensky today held a speech to Congress and he asked again for no-fly zone and more, he asked for more weapon. And we, I mean, the Western financial and technological sanctions against Moscow have been very strong. My question to you is, let's put it in a more concrete way. Do you think that also kind of like the Institute of Study of War and even Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said that... Um, according to the warning on on Wednesday, that there are some preparation and groundwork laid for Moscow's potential own chemical or biological attack, which 
they would blame on the West uh, down down the line, and, and that they there is a clear pattern of what's been going on in the last few days. Do you think there is a danger for Russia to possibly use chemical or biological weapons in Ukraine, or to create a false flag operation using them? And, and how will Putin stop, or how will he stop? Putin will not stop if we're talking about him undertaking a certain action, which is to stop. He will not stop. He can be stopped, but he will not do it by himself. Putin is clinically insane. He So his level of outrageousness, of rage, is also clinical. And uh, I saw it for myself. Uh, the world could see that on uh, February 22nd when he spoke up about Ukraine. You know, he gave this uh, mini lecture Absolutely illiterate, of course, and Putin is very illiterate, a poor, like poor, a very poorly educated man. So he gave this lecture about Ukraine and where he said that it was just an artificial state created by the Bolsheviks. Um, yeah, so before uh, February 22nd, I thought, Riyadh, honestly, I never expressed it publicly because there were reports by the U.S. intelligence and I had no reason to doubt um, the U.S. intelligence uh, intelligence uh, findings and reports. But also, I thought that Putin would not invade Ukraine. I thought that he was uh, prepared to do some military stuff in, in the Donbass you know, region, but not invasion because... There were, there was not, and there still is not a single reason or a single gain Putin could have possibly had uh, by invading Ukraine. It's only losses. Why would you do something that can only bring you losses? You know, and Putin, as we all knew him before, he was a very calculated man, very about the money. You know, like this middle. Uh, middle level uh, operative, very you know, uh, no great ideas, not a visionary, visionary, uh, you know, person. It's just like very you know, basic, basic, basic man. But and it was impossible to know that he went crazy clinically again, uh, unless you were in in his circle, right? And for the past two years, he didn't give any you know, like notable speech or something, and it was like. And maybe we could think, okay, maybe it's just like, you know, some propaganda for the people, right? So whatever deranged thing he, he'd say. But now, you know, when he spoke on uh, February 22nd, two days before the invasion, to me, like this very moment, it became absolutely clear that the war would happen. I was absolutely clear. I had no doubt. Uh, I had no doubt today that he, so uh, he will do anything to destroy Ukraine. His initial plan was, of course, to conquer Ukraine, right? That doesn't happen. And um, of course, he's, he did have plans, obviously, to install a puppet um, president in Ukraine. But um, that didn't work in the beginning. Now, the Ukraine, uh, Ukraine is destroyed so much. And also, if Putin somehow, you know, let's imagine, he, he Imagine he had a technical poss possibility to um, put a puppet in, in Bankova, in Kiev. And Russia is then, you know, the greatest friend of Ukraine. So Russia has to pay for Ukraine, you know, to rebuild it. Oh, Russia will not do that. Russia is, is a country that never pays for anything. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's not a plan anymore. And uh, what's there left to just... 
to express his rage and to destroy Ukraine. That's why they're bombing anything, anything and everything, right? He wants to destroy Ukraine. More, I not only I 100 believe Putin is prepared to use biological uh, or chemical weapons. I can, I also think that he's capable of using nuclear on Ukraine, which is also horrible because, you know, I spoke to um, friends, you know, we discussed it and um, some suggest Putin is uh, ready to, you know, use nukes on Washington. And then others, um, you know, um, say, object that, well, Putin would not do that because the West would respond. But also, again, false logic, because when you say so, you apply uh, the reasoning of a logical person, of a sane person. Putin is an insane person. So we don't know. He, again, if, and, and if he uses nukes on Ukraine, the West, there's no automatic um, response, right? So the rockets will not shoot if Putin shoots nukes on Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine doesn't have nukes. The West will not shoot in response. So that's like really horrible situation. And he's capable of that. That's 100%. Also, when people uh, talk about a possibility of uh, Putin using nukes on the West, um, it's a very... Um, 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 it's a very true observation that Putin is a coward. He's not suicidal. He's not, you know, ideological. True, I agree 100%. He's a coward. He doesn't want to die. But we know for a fact that he is severely misled about pretty much everything. What if he's misled about American nuclear power? What if he's been reported this year, all these years that American nuclear power are not as great as Russian? or that Russian, you know, can shoot faster or whatever, you know, or what if he is reported that he, him personally, Putin, is immune to nuclear attack? Really, I, can we exclude that? No, we can't. Because we don't know. We, what we do know that Putin doesn't have reliable information. He does, he's not familiar with facts. So he, yeah, I mean, no, nothing is impossible today and Putin needs to be stopped uh, the only way unfortunately I know that an, okay a no-fly zone is a non-starter and um, I agree with President Zelensky that you one should ask for more and get something straight strategy and also Zelensky you know he of course asks for a no-fly zone but then he asks for um different systems like i think patriots or whatever you know to defend against russian uh, systems uh, which could be very uh, powerful maybe they could get that i i, I pray for that uh, even though i am an atheist um so yeah but also you know i the other day uh, i was talking to the uh, bbc scotland and uh, we really so i caught myself um, that we were really, me, were discussing the ways of getting rid of Putin physically. And then we, you know, discussed how and who could dethrone him. But we also realized that, you know, an, an arrest is, is not very possible. So we're talking about uh, his murder. And, you know, I was exploring possibilities on BBC Scotland. <laughs> and then, you know, I said, oh, you know, Chris, I don't have a plan. I don't have a plan. <laughs> As if, you know, I'm supposed to have one. Um, I mean, I actually do. So the other day I was texting with a friend of mine. Um, 
and he's, you know, a man uh, from a business. Um, he's Russian, but he's abroad now. He has nothing to do with Putin, to be clear. And I was like, okay, can you tell me, is there no one who could just get to this bad person physically? And he is like, how do you see it, dreamer? <laughs> like, how do you, like, and I was like, okay, you just lock him up in his bunker and insert some gas. <laughs> that was like, I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe you'll cut it, Rihanna. Uh, it's, it's, it's fine. I'm not sure if we are allowed to say that. Although Senator Lindsey Graham, US, Sen- US senator, mind you, publicly suggested. Did you see his tweet? He did not. <gasps> oh, my God. He said, mm-hmm. he said, I hope there is someone in Russia who could take him out. Wow. Well, he publicly suggested someone, some brave man in Russia goes, you know, and uh, kills Putin, which was a bit insane. Mm. I mean, but it's true. I mean, it's not very strategically, right? Because now Putin is not going to get out of his bunker ever, you know, because he knows or he thinks that U.S. Senate or U.S. politicians are after him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is horrible, a horrible thing to say, but... um, I mean, I don't know in military terms, I have, I don't have a solution. I, you know, I understand all pros and cons yeah. um, in terms of an all-flight zone. I understand that we don't want a, a World War Three, And yeah. Putin is, um, he's, you know, we know for a fact that Russia will not, a Russian army will not stand against a NATO army uh, for like 20 minutes, probably. Um, so what is there left for Putin? Of course, nuclear weapons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, sad. No, it's obviously very complicated and and depressing. And um, I can imagine, I can only imagine how it feels to be in Ukraine right now and um, to, you know, keep... Oh, you can, actually. I was thinking. But, you know, it's it's really difficult, you know, that, I mean, and now we would get into history and all that start uh, and all that story. And it's not even... I'm I'm really glad that there is weapon being provided for Ukraine because Bosniaks had arms embargo on top of all the stuff that they were dealing with. So imagine that you were, you know, you had the aggressor, you didn't have army, plus you had the UN embargo. So um, I'm I'm so glad that at least Ukrainians are now being helped. Um, and it took three and a half years um, until '95 for for the bombing of NATO to happen there, and and there were no nukes. So I can, I can see how this is very much complicated. And um, I read all sorts of accounts and opinions and people, you know, from Gary Kasparov who 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 talks that nukes, what you know, World War Three already started. Um, he wouldn't use it. There are different opinions about whether Putin is suicidal or not. It's very difficult. It's very complicated. And uh, I did, though, want to ask you for all those listening or watching, what do you think is the best way to um, help either Russian um journalists i guess or, or or those people within russia or how can we you know bring facts because i can see that it could be so challenging to you know bring factual information if people are so distrustful and 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 so i was reading different initiatives there was one polish website uh, a polish group that Polish programmers, actually, they obtained some 20 million cell phone um, numbers and close to 140 million email addresses owned by Russian individuals. And um, 
I think it's called 1920.in, which was developed by programmers known as Squad 303. And I and I read some of the reactions of the people that they send this information. And some people said, I support Putin, stop writing to me. You know, others uh, were a little bit interested in it. I mean, it's a it's a long-term challenge, but what do you think? Do you have an idea um how to support those who are against this censorship and everything that is in their name? Because Ultimately, I do hope and believe that it will be Russians who, are, who would somehow topple uh, Putin. Um, and even then, afterwards, yeah, it will it's be, a whole different it will process. Be it yeah. will be Russians. Oh. Yeah, the question is, wh- which Russians? So the only people who have a technical, uh, who have means, you know, to dethrone Putin is the FSB and the army. The army will not do that because the defense minister is the main beneficiary, benefactor. Uh, beneficiary from uh, from this war. He's probably a trillionaire by now. Um, so uh, the FSB, yes, but uh, it's not going to be a democratic, you know, change. Uh, not the change itself, not what it brings after. So yeah, okay, supporting Russians. Okay, so I know that even. So Sotheby's and Chris's um, just canceled um, the um, auction on uh, of um, Russian art, like Russian days, they called or something. I don't. I mean, I'm not. I need to. I didn't get into details of that decision. Why? Or like, probably it was probably because yeah. I mean, do we assume that you know Russian art? is being owned by the Russians only, which is a bit crazy, right? Maybe the, the logic was uh, to not give the opportunity to the owners, to collect, the Russian collectors, right, to make money uh, off of it. I don't know. But I think that absolutely, you know, Russian journalists, especially those who have, like, those particular, there are particular people with names, Dost, Echo of Moscow, they need support. I would love, you know, um, to... Um, 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 to know that Americans um, come up with a program. They they used to have a lot of programs for journalists, um, you know, something, something to like give some opportunity to people, maybe grants for educate, you know, uh, education grants or something. People need help, you know, and certainly not all. Again, we had, a, I mean, I because a lot of, you know, some people would, uh, say to me, but what about these people, like the people in Russia, like general people? Oh, I don't care about them. I care about the people in Ukraine. And I also call for everyone to support Ukraine. National Bank of Ukraine uh, set up a special account. It's all on their website, as, as like a, a separate account for the Ukrainian army. I think it's very important to help the army first because, oh, like first and foremost, because if, if, you know, there is military uh, victory. We don't need any more, you know, suffering. There won't be any more suffering. And also there, there's a lot of humanitarian organizations, NGOs around the world who, have, who help refugees and, you know, all sorts of uh, like displaced people. But there are no NGOs that help armies of small countries that are being attacked. So, yeah, I call for everyone to just do whatever. If it's $10 or $50 or whatever, um, yes, so uh, Russians. Uh, I mean, I honestly and personally don't like, uh, you know, I don't like, I mean, nobody is asking me, you know, if I like something or not. Um, I mean, 
I'm ready and prepared to bear the consequences. I was ready actually in 2016 uh, when Russia attacked America and they did with this massive uh, interference in the election. And already then a lot of Americans uh, were very you know, angry uh, with Russians. And already then I felt like, you know, a little bit of an invader, you know, and I thought, okay, I'm, you know, first of all, I've always been you know, like a, an anti-Trumpist, like the uh, far, as far anti-Trump as you can be. Right. And I'm an up like a liberal opposition journalist from Russia. So I had nothing to do with it. But I realized that, okay, I'm a Russian citizen. I have to bear the consequences. And I know this is what will happen now and is happening now. Some, you know, Russian businesses are being attacked. Uh, Stores, uh, grocery stores, some of them are not even Russian. You know, some of them are owned by Ukrainians, but people, you know, cannot distinct. And I mean... It's it's not good, of course, and you know I now I know now I know Riada what it what it was like probably to be a Muslim in two thousand and one, right? So I can imagine now, you know, like how every Muslim was seen as an enemy, right? And there were there are many more like more Muslims in America and around the world than Russians, Um, and how many people experienced that, right? which is horrible. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Vladimir Putin. And yes, um, I think that I personally, you know, like circling circling back <laughs> to where we started. Um, yes, I think I personally, we did not do enough. So we failed. It means we didn't do enough. And um, yeah, we could do enough. We could protest more. We could be more um, unapologetic. We could be more resilient. We could be more... Um, radical, I'd say, because you know what? A lot of people called me, a rad, uh, you know, radical. I was like, oh, Karina, this is too radical. Oh, Karina, this is too radical. You're a, a radical. You know, you're too radical. You're a radicalist. And they were looking down on me for this. And, you know, and now I think, you know, it's obviously very clear that I was not radical enough, let alone others. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. But I also think that, yes, Russians suffer, but I can't just make, I mean, I have friends, personal friends who I support and I will help uh, Russians. I mean, but, you know, it just breaks my heart what's going on in Ukraine because Russians lost their jobs. Ukrainians lost their everything. I, I mean, everything they don't have like their country anymore they don't know where to go and yeah it's nice the europeans you know accept them in their houses and host them and open their houses but it's a bit different right that have your own home yeah um while you were talking i just had tanya my friend who is in central ukraine right now and who um refused to leave her husband whom couldn't have left the country so they're there and she's still very um very resilient and very believing and i'm in touch with her every day and she might watch this after i tell her so uh, and, and she says that that being in touch and uh support boosts the morale so um 
sending my best to her if she ends up looking this. I, I want to thank you for your time and all your uncensored views as 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 always uh, with the best intentions and for um so many insights that are so necessary right now i think that um like you said it's it's heartbreaking what's happening in ukraine and i hope it ends as soon as possible but there's so many conversations that need to be had huh, whether in more radical way if that is the word like you used or just in much more honest concrete ways about just the appeasement the dangers of the appeasement about the extremity of lies and uh, you know the why those things have continued to be tolerated and still continue to be tolerated in some other countries um like in the Western Balkans as well, and, and the ongoing dangers that that span from it. Um, thank you so much. Um, I know that you will be active in the following months and weeks, and I will follow uh, your work. Um, and anybody who wants to follow Karina's work, she is on Twitter, you can Google her work um, and Facebook or some social media does allow translation. So sometimes when there is something in Russian, I go to uh, yeah. Facebook translation <laughs> of what Karina says to, to follow her um, insights. I hope for the best, but uh, maybe it's going to get worse before it gets better. I just hope that it lasts um, shorter yeah. and, then, and then it could. That's very true. That's very true. Thanks so much, Riyadh. No, of course. Um, and for all of you, uh, feel free to share this conversation and stay tuned for more of um, conversations with people from all over the globe. Um, stay tuned and hold tight to those you love. Have a nice day. See you soon.